Hi, mate. Forty here. So, I, I like to start my day with uplifting material, something inspiring, something that uh, helps me to overcome my my habitual tendencies towards selfishness. So, I, I figured I should listen to this this twelve step talk on building relationships and, and intimacy. And in the the twelve step talk. I was hearing stuff about containment. This is a right? healthy representation. What, what is containment? About the relationship between divine masculine and divine feminine. This masculine clamshell is creating a safe, nourishing space in which the female can exist or occur. It enables a woman to be soft, open, receptive, and to grow. If you imagine removing that masculine shell, the female immediately contracts, goes rigid, and into a state of defense. I mean, that's great. I, I, I wanted to know what... Uh what uh, what a container was bloody hell the, the this uh, google meet that they're always giving me you know stay in the call uh, do you do you want to do you want to leave the call remove you from the call it's just like they automatically remove me from the call if no one else comes in there and here i am trying to produce a, a high quality show and i'm getting those those bloody dings so yeah, I was listening to a recovery talk this morning about emotional intimacy by Danielle Debray. It was at a Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous group, and uh, it seemed like healthy stuff to start my day. Oh, I hear that you do. So she's talking and about actually saying they're not allowed to somebody else. It takes a lot of confidence. Okay. And what that process does so here she's is talking about the most important. It's using eye language. Yeah, yeah eye the, language. The get pretty basic. But what misses, what the gap is that's missing is being able to go in and really despic and be what I call despicably honest. Yeah, that's what we're about on this show. And saying despicably honest. those nasty things to yourself that you don't want to hear that you do and actually saying them out loud to somebody else. It takes a lot of confidence. And what that process does is starts creating an internal container. You yeah, can be an a independent container. person when you know what you're feeling. I wanted to if know you what that know was. What you're feeling, Do you know what you're feeling right now? Else. Are and you ready walk to walk into the world saying, hi, I don't know what I'm feeling. I'd like to connect with you. Why don't you tell me what I'm feeling? Oh, how dare you? <laughs> and it's a setup for failure. So I want to create that kind of container. Um, is if we don't have a good listener. If we don't have a good listener, I want to go where love is. Like, I'm hoping you'll show me. I want to see where love is. You know, I know you'll take me. I want to know about creating this, this container of love. So, so YouTube directed me to Teal Swan, who is quite in other striking. Words, it's a coping mechanism instead of a natural state in and of itself. And whenever there is that lack of masculine container, the female actually has to cope by becoming masculine herself. Right, so I'm thinking, wow, I need to create more of a, of a container so that the woman doesn't have to become masculine herself. Now, when she does this, this has a negative impact, not just on her mind, on her emotions, but also on her physical body. Okay, so I need to be the man creating a container. So I, I figured I need to learn more about creating a container. So I put in the name of one of my favorite YouTube uh, therapists, uh, Katie Morton. And, and I said, what does Katie Morton have to say about containment? And I went there and I see, I see Katie Morton needs a break. Her and I shared a lot of random things like. Oh, wow. I wasn't, 
I wasn't expecting this. I mean, what the heck's going on with Katie Morton? She always just seems so so bubbly and happy. I mean, huh, huh. Is that, isn't that creepy? It's so yeah, creepy. Okay. It's like, we're going to take a shower. No, and I think that's yeah. a, I've talked about that a lot, that you can't force anyone into treatment because you can't make them get better. I just want to take the time to address all the hate and confusion, really, that Shane and I have received for our video together that came out last Thursday. I think it's interesting that she herself says, Yeah, they're known for their crocodile They like, go off. They're like, bullied in comments. No, I would never intentionally create content that would ever hurt or upset anyone. Again, my goal... That, that's nonsense. Like, when you hear people talk uh, about, you know, they never do anything to hurt anyone, we deliberately do things to hurt the people that we love the most all the time. Alright? So... ...is to educate and empower you. And I was honestly shocked that people were upset about the video that I did with Shane because if you don't know how this was set up, Shane called me and asked if he could come over and just film me telling him how I would Shane go about Dawson. diagnosing a sociopath. Come on, I don't need alpha much. A sketchy YouTube therapist. Hey, Katie it's Martin. your Uncle Herman here, and I'm hey, still an Uncle alpha Herman. male. Welcome to 2021, and today I'm kicking it off by talking about... Yeah, now, now this seems like reliable quality psychological content. Good old Uncle Herman. YouTube therapists. One particular YouTube therapist called Katie Morton. Now, you might have seen her in Shane Dawson's documentary series, or on her eponymous YouTube channel, or even the videos that are starting to come out about her slightly dodgy activities on the platform. Now, when a therapist starts making YouTube videos, they can reach the right people and be helpful, and I have nothing against therapy. I think it's an amazing thing. But there's something about Katie that has never sat right with me, and a few of the ways in which she's been conducting herself online recently have raised some issues with myself and fellow YouTube viewers alike. So today let's have a look into the dark truth behind Katie Morton and see why and how she's suddenly being turned on online. So Katie Morton is a licensed therapist according to her website. She runs her own private practice and aims to share mental health information across social media and destigmatize. Okay, so this morning I, I want to get started on a positive note. I, I want to learn about creating a container for love. I mean this is how, how my day started. And very quickly, however, when I wanted to look what Katie Morton had to say, I, I see her crying and breaking down in a video. And then I see how she's sharing her depression story for the first time. It's not, not what I was, was looking for. So, so I, I, I end up with Teal Swan, who I've never heard before, but she's got over a million subscribers. Essentially, this causes a flip in polarity. And that okay. flip in polarity is not only unhealthy swap. for her, it's to blame for so many of the relationship issues that are happening between men and women today. With that image in mind now, let's look deeper at containment. To contain a woman in this context is to actively, not passively, create a safe space of well-being for her. Okay, that, that seems healthy. I mean, okay, it's like, all right, here I go. I, I've, got, I've got an online guru who's going to teach me about how to create a, a containment, right? I, I want a love container. All right. I mean, when I was younger, I wanted other things with regard to love, but now I'm, I'm 55 and I want a love container. And, 
And so I, I start looking for a little more information about Teal Swan, and I find out that she's the catalyst of suicide. That's not really what I was looking for. So we've got this Gizmodo reporter, Jennings Brown. He, he was looking for help on YouTube, and, and YouTube sent him to Teal Swan, all right, the, the, the guru of, of suicide. And he does a six-part series called The Catalyst. There are hundreds of videos and posts like this where people are saying they want to kill themselves. And I see the value of having this kind of immediate support, but it's still jarring to me. The amount of posts about suicide is staggering, and I'm far from the only person who has noticed this. There were a lot of posts of people saying that they were feeling suicidal. This is Catherine Breen. She used to be a member of the Teal tribe. It concerns me a lot because of things that Teal has said about suicide and things that she said about past clients who have, like, well, specifically one past client who has committed suicide. This one past client who committed suicide? That's Leslie. You heard Joyce the Belly Dancer talking about her at the beginning of the episode. She's come up in the Teal Tribe before and on critics' blogs. I found one Facebook post from August 29, 2016. It says, I know that a lot of you might not like this post, and believe me, I love Teal so much. She has helped me a lot. But why do Teal haters keep saying she led a woman to suicide? Can anybody please tell me the whole story? It ends with parentheses, this post is not against Teal, in parentheses, followed by two heart emojis. Okay, so I'm trying to get my day off to a positive, uplifting start. And and the first first YouTube guru I turned to, Katie Morton, is you know really going through some pretty severe mental health issues. And then the next one I turned to, I think, oh, oh, Teal, she sounds swell. And then I learned that she is the guru of suicide. Uh, not exactly kind Did of... Did Teal influence Leslie's decision to end her life? Like just about everything else with Teal, it doesn't take me long to find a video of her addressing this specifically. This video is from back in 2013, the year after Leslie died. I actually, interestingly enough, lost my first client to suicide this last year. Uh, that would set me back. Like if... Like I lost my first Alexander Technique client or, or any client to suicide. Yeah, that'd be tough. And this was a woman who was absolutely miserable. This clip of Teal at a workshop in Santa Fe, this short clip, this is what Teal Swan's critics point to as the most damning evidence that she pushes people to kill themselves. So we had that very serious sit-down talk where we had to say, all right, we're either committing or not committing to life. Because every time I gave her a suggestion, she'd stop in two days doing the suggestion. So then we have to ask the question, do we really want this to work? And what's interesting is when she asked herself that question, the answer was no, I'm done. So there's nothing that any healer could ever do for that type of vibration, which is totally fine. From source energy, there's nothing wrong with death from that perspective. So she chose to commit suicide. Interestingly enough, it took her about two days before she was reincarnated again. Oh, so that's not so bad. Teal uses a lot of spiritual wow. jargon that I don't get. But saying that there's nothing a healer could ever do. Okay, I was starting to feel down about all this and start feeling a little skeptical about Teal Swan, but knowing that her first client committed suicide, but then was reincarnated two days later, I'm feeling so much better now. Right. So like, tell me more about the container of love. Right. I, I, I maybe I just don't have to sweat the, the whole suicide catalyst thing. for that type of vibration. What does she mean by that? Uh, her messaging on mental health it, in a word, reckless. There are so many people who love Teal Swan, but she also has a lot of critics, like LaVon Slavin. She was never a follower of Teal's, but she says that she was in a spiritually abusive relationship with a guru, and it reminds her of how Teal interacts with her followers. 
So Levon writes blog posts warning people about Teal. She has repeatedly said that death is a reset button for a life that's become too miserable, and that it may be the best option for some people. She's said that death feels incredible, that it's a gift you'd give yourself if you knew how wonderful it was. Jessica Schaub is another one of Teal's critics. Jessica used to be a spiritual leader herself, but now she tries to expose what she sees as spiritual abuse. Teal is dangerous because of the way she manipulates people and the way she gets them to do things. Jessica warned me about getting too close to Teal in her inner circle. But I don't think she would physically harm people, but her, the way they attack is usually virtually, right? Jessica and Levon have been attacked online for speaking out against Teal. Some of Teal's critics were nervous about talking to me because of the potential backlash. Some didn't want to meet in person. They preferred phone or email. After hearing about all their fears and allegations, I wanted to talk to the spiritual catalyst herself. It's the Godwinson Live! News alert. Now, <clears throat> hello. we made a video covering millennial woes. After the break, today, I get a hold of Teal. Sargon afterwards. They come back from the dead with a new rift. Millennial woes is a guide to culture. This is what he's planning on doing right now with his time. He's going to give you, Western man, a guide to life. But before he fully embarks on the new grift he wants okay so is is perhaps millennial woes a, a better guru will will he teach us more about uh, how how to approach life it's the godwinson live news alert now <clears throat> we made a video covering millennial woes law yesterday and then sargon afterwards they've come back from the dead with a new grift millennial woes is a guide to culture this is what he's planning on doing right now with his time He's going to give you, Western man, a guide to life. But before he fully embarks on the new grift, he wants to tell everyone that he is a free, innocent, exonerated man. And whatever Godwinson's telling you, whatever accurate law Godwinson is putting out into the ether, is to be completely turned away. Call Godwinson a liar. An enemy of the people. I think he actually does use the word enemy of the people. So we're going to get into this. I'm not going to press you this with anything beyond. This is the first time that Millennial Woes has gone on record with a, a, a public disavowal of the accusers and, and the women that have uh, come to light. So he's going to dismantle their truth in what seems as though it's a half hour video that was uploaded after my video. So, I mean, I'm perplexed i'm perplexed uh was no one fucking calling millennial woes out on this did, did it take godinson to come back from the dead to lay out a, a five-year caseload of law for millennial woes to actually go shit i need to actually talk to my audience and the people that are paying me money and say wow <laughs> i'm a free man so let's get into that this is insanity just to begin with let's go Hello. Hello. At the end of April 2020, I was accused of sexually assaulting a young woman. This allegation triggered a set of other rumours and accusations, including ones dug up from the past. Uh, I don't think things trigger. I don't think it was trigger. I think all of this stuff was in the ether anyway. It was a cacophony of noise surrounding woes forever. But he tried to make it seem as though nothing, nothing was going on, that he wasn't a Scottish neat who was a rent boy. We're not even going to get into the law because that's in the previous video. But this is not 
a sexual allegation comes out of the woodwork, then suddenly everyone else starts piling on and making up stuff. No, there was a consistent pattern of behavior long before this woman came along with credible evidence that Millennial Woes was what he's been accused of. Let's go, let's go. Let me first set your mind to rest on the most important matter. The allegation is false. <laughs> so, okay, so if, if this is an innocent man and the allegation is false, right? Surely the video should end here at 28 seconds in. Surely all he needs to say is, I'm an innocent man, get fucked. Goodbye. Goodbye, accusers. But there is a word salad that proceeds to follow this. A, a, word, a, a word salad counter, I can only describe this as. As for the next 25 and a half minutes, he, he confusingly and bafflingly seems to simultaneously corroborate this woman's story and, and the other stories that are around him. And say that he's still in it. He's still clean anyway. And he's the victim of a Me Too. And it's left. His okay, this is a Godwin Godwinson uh, video from December 4, 2020. But he's touching on something important here that it, it's hard to take people seriously until they take take responsibility when, when they, they admit uh, bad behavior, when they don't just... Uh, uh, seem to learn nothing from their, their travails. So like uh, Richard Spencer doesn't seem to have learned much from all his travails. He hasn't seemed to have taken much responsibility for his behavior. And uh, so too with, with millennial woes. So this is just a preamble to more of what I want to talk about. But I think Godwinson is on something important here. Just sort of doing this. and you know, you, There are enemies. He makes, he makes his enemies your enemies, which is evil. And... I, I, at a loss, quite frankly, as to why, if he were innocent completely, and everything was baseless and a falsehood, why he wouldn't just end the video at 28 seconds. But you're going to hear why. Said or harassed anyone. I am not guilty of any criminal wrongdoing. You are! You're guilty! Guilty, Your Honor! Has a history of. Look, you can behave like a pig and not be guilty of any criminal wrongdoing. I have. Uh... I have behaved like a pig at times towards men and women and uh, not guilty of criminal wrongdoing, but you can also be quite the bastard as, as I have been through, let me get specific, just through, through being gross, through being in poor taste, through being unnecessarily confrontational, through, through being inappropriate, through being needlessly shocking, through uh, being presumptive, aggr needlessly aggressive. Through. I remember there, there was one woman that I hit on really hard in the kitchen at a Shabbat dinner, and apparently she was still crying about it years later. And I think I played a significant role in her unhappiness about that event. Uh, other times, like I, I showed up on a woman's doorstep who I, I thought I was had a, I was either sleeping with or thought I was going to, and. Uh, uh, I'm thinking of two women in, a pre in particular who said, hey, you just can't show up on my doorstep. You know, I can't just like show up at uh, 9 p.m. at night for, for a booty call, even if it's Shabbat. So let's, let's, get, uh, let's get a little bit hello, more. Barry. Um, hello, Barry. Hello, Padfa. Hello, Hapa. Hello, Whitlinger. Hello. Hello, Magitech. Or whatever. In order to make it look like it's from this war. So the photo is from this war. When it's not, I mean, that's things that resemble it and things that are tangentially connected to it get memory hold or banned so that they won't offend people so that people won't be shocked and troubled by the sight of the letter z because it might remind them of the russian army 
Now, the alternative explanation is it's not because of people's emotions. It's not their emotional reaction to seeing the letters. It's the fact that it is associated with the Russian military. Okay, I agree with Wes And that. ever since, it has been pilloried as an example of brain-dead, right-wing, warmongering stupidity. And yet here we are now with the letter Z, the entire fucking letter Z. Okay, I, I agree uh, with that. Uh, well, obviously, beautiful girl and all that, but just not my type. Now, the other one that I did fancy was the German actress, uh, Madchen Amick, if they used the letter Z. I mean, I'm sorry to... So they're expected. They're they've they've seen, they've time. heard that they are expected to be this fragile. And so they're just acting in accordance with that expectation. Uh, that, that, I think that's the more likely explanation here. So, yeah, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll move on now. I, I just wanted to talk about that because I'm, I'm staggered by it. Bloody hell. Magitech, uh, thank you very much for that very generous super chat. <laughs> Bloody hell. That's... Uh, that's by far the, the largest one so far, so thank you very much. Um, okay, well, yes, everyone can be, everyone can thank Magitech for that. Thank you. Um, oh, <laughs> so, okay, the, I'll, I'll do Magitech's one first. Uh, he says, I couldn't think of a real question, so here it is. Who was the hottest Twin Peaks female character, and why was it Audrey Horn? Well, um, I have... Come on. Do God, that's a bloody this. big question to end on. Because I don't know, I, I can only speak for myself. The, the, the thing that started me was I, uh, I moved into a multicultural environment. You know, to, to say it very briefly, that, that's what happened. And uh, so I went from rural Scotland, uh, well, and then I'd lived in Edinburgh, and, uh, and then I'd lived in a northern town, which again was very white. So all my life, up until the age of 19, I'd lived in very white areas. Then I moved to a very multicultural part of London, and I just clocked immediately that this just doesn't work. It just simply does not work. Uh, there's there's suspicion, there's paranoia, there's a low-level tension everywhere. And then it was also the same within the student community, the halls of residence where I was living. It was also very multicultural. Loads of Japanese, loads of Chinese students. And no one talked to each other. No one, it was all just... So this this whole thing about people mixing was just just a myth. And uh, I... So we tend to see the world as we are not as the world is so i'm sure that plenty of those multicultural students were mixing and were talking to each other but uh, millennial woes who has mild tendencies towards isolation to withdrawing from other people and uh, certain social awkwardness he doesn't mix now true the less you have in common with other people the more difficult it is to mix and communicate with them. i don't know if it's different now i mean that was 20 years ago Maybe it's different now. Maybe there is more mixing. I'm not sure. Certainly in daily life. I mean, you've got the, you know, the whole cliche of the millennial and now the Gen Z. Sort of, everyone's got a girlfriend of a different race. Everyone's got a mixed race friend and you know, friend circle of all different races. I mean, that, that's what you see in the advertising. <laughs> I dare say that the reality is actually a lot starker and a lot more old fashioned than that. Um, but also, so yeah, the reason I said all that is for me, it was just effortless. It was just obvious. And, and that my prior beliefs were mistaken. So people would rather look outside themselves than inside themselves for their troubles. So uh, I think it, it's fair to say that Millennial Woes' problems and inability to you know, hold down what's traditionally regarded as a manly role, you, you work for a living, right? And uh, you navigate your way in society. I don't think it's primarily because of multiculturalism. 
I think it's primarily because of Britain's economic and immigration policies. I mean, my primary problems are caused by me. Richard Spencer's primary problems are caused by Richard Spencer. Millennial Wales's primary problems are caused by himself, but it's so much easier to say, oh, the problems with society, the problems with our immigration policy, the problems with multiculturalism. Right? Multiculturalism and diversity is no excuse not to get out there into the world and to hold down a job, to pay your taxes, to make friends, to gather with friends, to form community, and to get along with people to the best you can. And, uh, and I did try. It wasn't just like I arrived there and then the next day I had become a bigot. You know, and you know, even after I concluded that it wasn't working, I still. So would rather would people in general rather look at themselves and say, "Hey, maybe there's something off about me. Maybe I need to recalibrate. Maybe I need to approach other people differently." Or would people rather say, "Oh, problems with others and our nation's immigration policy"? Right? Many people who are struggling would rather say, "Oh, my problems with other people." The less engaged you are with real people the less energy you have to get out into the world and interact. So these things become self-fulfilling prophecies. I mean, I was still nice to them. I mean, it's not like I was, you know, uh, it's not like I got a swastika tattoo or something like that. It, it, obviously not. Um, I was still perfectly nice to them. And I did try to make friends, but it just, I just realized I don't have anything in common with them. That uh, There are these annoying language barriers. Everything is a chore, like a fucking normal, like just banana. Okay, so when you're around people who are more similar to you, are you making friends? Are you holding down a job? Are you taking on masculine responsibilities? Now conversation is a chore. And of course, there's no feeling of commonality. Uh, so it's just nonsense. It's, it's just onerous and unrewarding. So, I, I mean, I tried it, for, but I think it was about three or four months in when I just realized, when I, I sort of concluded, this just isn't going to work. But it wasn't an intellectual battle for me, and it wasn't difficult for me to... It was difficult for me to give up on the idea of making friends, because I wanted friends. But it wasn't difficult for me to realise, oh, bloody hell, multiculturalism does not work. That wasn't... So much easier to say multiculturalism does not work rather than I don't work. My approach to living doesn't work. Uh, let, let me be honest here. My natural instinct is to be much more isolated than is good for me. Right? My natural instinct is to back away from community and from other people and to try to restrict all my interactions with other people just strictly on my terms, right? These natural instincts of mine somehow hardwired in me as I would assume a response to the chaos of my early childhood. I reacted to that by becoming overly rigid in my reactions with other people and trying to make most of my interactions with others strictly on my own terms which does lead to isolation and misery. So the way I'm wired does not work to my benefit if I just follow my natural inclinations. I have to do all sorts of things to push myself to get out there, be, be more social, because naturally I'm isolated. So it's much harder to admit I'm broken rather than to say, oh, society's broken. But I am. I am broken. I'm a, a broken person whose natural tendency is towards isolation which is not healthy. Difficult. It was very obvious to me. And uh, you know, my only concern was, am I wrong about this? Have I missed something? Um, it doesn't sound like he's really 
that concerned about whether he's wrong about it and whether he's missed something and whether that's something that he's missed is him. But yeah, that was the first thing. That, that, and then thereafter, it was other one issue at a time. I, I just sort of fell out of agreement with the mainstream on one issue after another. Um, so it wasn't difficult for me. So what I'm actually hearing is the mainstream fell out with millennial woes. Like most people didn't want to have much to do with him. And so he was failing in the regular world, right? He's never held a job, according to him. So he was failing in real life. So when you're failing at real life, you can say, oh, the problem's me. I need to take a very painful self-examination and I need to admit that I've got a problem and I need to ask for help and I need to become willing to take direction from other people, even though it goes against all my inclinations, right? That's a very painful thing to do doesn't sound like it's the path that uh, Wozy has taken. I don't think there was ever, because I always just thought, well, am I right or wrong? And I think this is really the crux of the matter. You know, there are people who just think, well, is this true or false? Is this right or wrong? And then there are other people who think of the social cost of believing it. Again, there's not much introspection here about what is his own role, what's his own programming. What are his own influences? How has his own record of failure in interacting with other people predisposed him towards an antisocial worldview, predisposed him towards a, an ideology which will allow, allow him to isolate and to loathe larger society just as he seems to perceive larger society loathes him? What am I expected to believe? And that will override everything else. They'll even find ways to believe things that they know are false so that they can retain the favor of their peers yes yes the happiest marriages are people who believe false things about their spouses right that's what goes on in the happiest marriages people have unrealistic perspectives on their spouse they put their spouse on a pedestal when people start to get a realistic view of their spouse right the marriage is is uh, in trouble right so there are all sorts of non-true beliefs that serve us. And if you want to take a completely secular perspective, a belief in the transcendent, belief in God, belief in religion, from a, an atheist perspective, is a false belief that serves a lot of people. So that they can retain social acceptability. And so for them... Uh... There's never been a group, uh, there's never been a society where you don't need to make assent to false things to successfully get along. That's the way human nature has always been. It is very difficult to change their views unless the, the mainstream changes its views and then it's extremely easy for them to just snap into line, just get back into uh, synchronicity with the mainstream. But to defy the mainstream is extraordinarily difficult for those people. And I think we're talking about a good slap. Yeah, to defy the mainstream, to defy the people around you, to defy your culture, right? to defy most people. Yeah, that does not tend to create happiness. It does not tend to create a life that works. The big percentage of the more than 50% of people. For them, it's extremely difficult. I mean, I think if you were stuck on a desert island with one of them, yeah, you could probably talk sense into them. Yeah. yeah but once you were rescued, yeah. or once yeah. you got off. Yeah, maybe millennial woes could uh, talk sense into them. Right. Does he have any mentors? Does he have any? Is there anybody that millennial woes respects? Because if there's anyone that he, he respects, then he should look to them for, for some help. He should look to them for some guidance. Seems he says, to me. I really liked your video on the multi-moral society. 
do you stand by that or, or do you have any further thoughts to add? Well, the Multimoral Society was one of my very first videos. I think it was in the first like five that I actually filmed, if I recall correctly. So it was obviously something that was on my mind. It was obviously a priority for me to talk about that. And the, the crux of it was that, and it sounds pretty, <laughs> pretty bad saying it now, but the crux of it was that it's not right to have the same expectations of different classes of people. And therefore, the rules should be, in, in a sense, different for different classes of people. Now, I did not mean there shouldn't be equality before the law, because I think equality before the law is actually a good idea, uh, mostly. I mean, maybe that's a symptom of me being born of a democratic age and despite myself, you know. But nonetheless, I think it is good that the law is as fair and objective, impartial as possible. Well, you know, because it's the pursuit of truth, after all, the pursuit of justice. So I didn't mean that. The, the, what I meant was that there should be a leeway in the sense that. And, and I, uh, I was really blessings inspired. to Elliot Blatt. How's it going, mate? Uh, blessings, Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Uh, so I didn't expect a didn't expect a stream fluke. So, uh, uh, Luke, uh, do you think that you um, that you sort of kind of punish yourself unnecessarily? Oh, sure. I'm sure yeah. there, there are plenty of times I punish myself unnecessarily. And but I, I'm not sure that it exceeds the number of times that I I uh, let myself off the hook unnecessarily. So you feel like there's a score, right? And you've got to sort of. Well, I, I, I want to be in reality. And so yeah. there, there's certainly a time to forgive yourself. And then I think there's a time to let yourself know, hey, you're falling short here. And you can do both. You can admit that you're flawed. Like, I, I, I don't think you can watch my show and think, oh, here's a guy who's just burdened by guilt. He's just burdened by shame. He, he, he can't leave the house because he's got so much self-loathing. No, I, I can admit that I've acted like a pig, that I've been despicable. And it doesn't reduce my happiness level. In fact, I'm happier because I can admit the truth and I don't hate myself for being flawed. Okay, fair enough. I mean, um, now, is this something you, that you only do when you're on stream and you don't really carry around with you? Or uh, is this something that you carry around with you all the time? Like this sort of running dialogue that, oh, I've been a bad boy and I, I need to flog myself. It's all it's all contextual. If I'm going to critique millennial woes and he says something that I can resonate with and something that I've I've struggled with, then rather than coming from the perspective I'm better than you, you know, I'm high and haughty, it's like, oh, I've struggled with the exact same thing. And this is what I realized about my life. So a lot of my critiques begin with, Okay, I've struggled with this, I've failed in this area, uh you know, this is this is my experience, and then this is what I'm thinking, or this is what I've read, this is what I've heard. But uh, I think if you're going to talk about yourself publicly, it, it should probably be along the lines of things that are shameful. Like usually, there's not much point in in boasting about yourself publicly. Yeah, that's true for sure. But uh, but the, then but. Uh... Millennial Woe seems to just kind of flog himself all the time. He's, uh, I don't see him as somebody that's, uh, you know, aggrandizing himself in any way. I think he's the opposite. He's sort of uh, just lamenting his circumstances in a way that's kind of 
uh, you know, it's a little bit unbecoming. I, I, I just find him out of touch with reality. So his response to the sex pest allegations were, were a perfect illustration. There's absolutely nothing to them. Uh, but yeah, maybe I've, you know, been, been a bit inappropriate. So he, he just, he's obviously miserable. And so he, he admits his misery and he's, he's relatable on that hand, but he doesn't, doesn't seem to take much responsibility for his own role in his own misery. And he's very quick to say, you know, my misery is caused by our multicultural society rather than there are plenty of people out there in our multicultural society who are connecting and creating a good life. Uh, it's, it's not just our immigration policy that's the, the primary cause of my problems. So I, I, it, it rings false to me. Like there are parts of it that ring true, but a lot of it just rings, rings false to me. Hmm. Okay. So it's like, it's like Joe Queenan. His father was an alcoholic who apparently treated him really badly. And then his father started working the 12 steps, but uh, didn't really work them. He'd just like mumble something to Joe and his brother. You know, if I've ever been unkind to you, you know, please forgive me. No, that's, that's not making amends. Uh, uh, making amends right. is you, you've got to get specific. And so, so I don't, I don't hear Wozy getting specific about, you know, where he, he needs to make amends for other people and where his own selfishness, his own unnecessary fear, his own inconsideration, his own dishonesty has caused his, his problems. Instead, it's just, you know, I've screwed up, I'm miserable, but he, he doesn't seem to come to terms with the reality of what's happened. And I, I don't think people should hate themselves or blame themselves. Like Millennial Woes did not ask to be miserable. So he shouldn't berate himself or down himself for being miserable. But there's no recovery until you can start to come to terms with the exact things that you have done to to create your misery. That's true. That's all true. Um, I, I guess. All right. Millennial Wells has sort of created a persona around being miserable and lugubrious. Right. Yes. And and this is sort of in the same way that Ralph has created a personality of being sort of bombastic and crude, you know, and in a weird way, their livelihoods are are tied to maintaining this persona. They're incentivized to keep going and they're disincentivized to sort of unwind these narratives that they tell themselves. So, um I don't know. Yeah, it's interesting to to observe. But I think they've ingrained patterns so deeply. I, I'm not sure that the real rational incentives are leading them to the state that they're at. I think they're more stuck in their own patterns that they can't get out of them. Rational incentives would would say to them, "You've got to get off the internet and Correct. And, and build yes. a life." But they they their their internet life has so contaminated their real life and the way they conduct themselves in their real life, that it's going to be incredibly painful for, for a while, even if they quit the internet, because everything that you say and do online, it feeds back and, and recreates you in, in the real world. And so it, it's a very long path ahead. Yeah. So, <clears throat> um, but I, I notice. Okay, let's talk about you a little bit. 
um, like I, I noticed that you have a way of uh, all of your misdeeds are really seem really foremost in your mind. Now, this may just be something that you display when you're online, right? And that you 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 you're sort of setting an example by confronting your own failings publicly right and yes now but um which is fine to i'm not criticizing i'm just simply trying to understand uh now you do this to sort of set example uh, this is me theorizing uh to set example for others to sort of uh give them space to do the own sort of their own self-reflection well right? primarily i'm setting an example for myself like I, I, I so easily become pompous. I so easily become a pompous <laughs> asshole, and so now, I have this, to keep now, coming back to to the reality of my own piggish behavior, and then use that as the the place from where I where I stand and where, and where I launch. Because otherwise, I'm just you know a pompous a hole much of the time. Okay, but is this you? Is this a function of your sort of um, strict religious upbringing that feels as though, um, you know, you need to sort of abrade yourself all the time? And if you're not doing that, you are a pompous asshole. There's no sort of calm neutrality of, of neither being pompous nor being uh, uh, um, uh, punished, right? There's this sort of... Uh, this was the past. This is what I've done. I've accepted. Is there a path towards sort of neutrality and acceptance and then progression? Oh, I'm sure there is. And, and I am profoundly shaped by, you know, my father and, and yeah, my, my religious upbringing. And uh, I'm not just the, you know, Mr. Calm and acceptance, like calm and acceptance takes, takes work for me. You know, I've known uh, other people that grew up in very strict uh, religious uh, households. They grew up in a very st uh, strict religious uh, upbringing. And when they, as soon as they got out of the house, they sort of rebelled in a very strong, profound way, uh, in a way that sort of contradicted all of this, their uh, religious uh, indoctrination. And they sort of made mistakes on the other end. They sort of screwed up their lives becoming by becoming... Uh, really sort of in just libertines of, you know, sex, drugs, rock and roll, and so forth. Yeah, and that, that that's, that's me. I mean, without the drugs, yeah. I mean, I, I just became incredibly reactive and rebellious. Yeah. And and then, they then you know, they sort of take that to the extreme. And it's sort of like the discipline that they've accrued through their strict upbringing only served them it only served because they were sort of more cunning and determined in their rebellion do you know what i mean like yes. the, the skills that they learned as with their structure they applied to becoming <laughs> yeah yeah that's a there's, a there's a new movie out called x it's uh, yeah. set in 1979 in texas and a group of people rent a home in in a remote area to shoot a porn movie and uh, the the lead character, a woman, starts the movie like snorting cocaine, looking in the mirror and saying, "You know, I deserve better." And 
so they they rent this movie and they shoot this this porn movie in this remote house but the older couple nearby who they're renting the the house from don't don't know what's going on and when they do know what's going on the movie turns oh look you dropped out i i'm back so i'm here also okay sorry all right you're back all right yeah all right so so anyway uh this this one woman she has to you know fight through a horror show where everyone else in the porn movies getting getting wiped out but her, her father's a preacher and she she uses her her discipline and her i deserve better to to navigate her way through you know this mass murdering scene uh to make it out alive <laughs> so it's it's actually a pretty good movie it's a it's called x uh not the story of x <laughs> no, not the, the history, history of x, x. Yeah. not the history of x which no. i also hear is just completely superlative as well no, it's an erotic uh, slasher film yeah interesting but interesting. It, it's actually fairly it's well done it, it's one of the best erotic slasher films i've ever seen <laughs> yes yeah, so the list is long uh all right well uh, i don't know that was just sort of i guess the point is like um <clears throat> like uh jewish life seems to be sort of both more accepting and more strict in certain ways right yes it it has different boundaries yes and sort of it allows more within a certain radius yes the radius uh and therefore it doesn't create the reactions that go outside the radius the radius so you get sort of a wider scope that's clustered around the center. Do you know what I'm saying? Well, there's no generic Jewish life. There are so many different parts of, of Jewish life. And so I've, I've navigated to, to those parts that are the best fit for me. Hmm. Um, you know, right. I'd be a terrible fit for many different Jewish communities. <laughs> They would hate me, and I would hate them. <laughs> now, have you found home in your current community? Or? Yeah, no, I found a home in Orthodox Judaism, yeah, and, and and I'm happy here. Now, I'm sure there are some Orthodox synagogues where I wouldn't be a great fit either, but uh, overwhelmingly, I feel very comfortable among Orthodox Jews and in Orthodox synagogues and at Orthodox events. For, for one thing, I don't know how to dance with women, so at Orthodox mm-hmm. events, you know, blokes only dance with blokes. And I'm, I'm very mm. comfortable dancing with other blokes. <laughs> yes, I'm sure that's a joyous experience, you know, dressed in a three-piece suit and, uh, yeah. you know. Staying you know, alive, it staying up. alive. Yeah, 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 do yeah. You, do you feel more comfortable dancing with blokes or with Sheila's? <laughs> Neither. I'm not a dancer at all. You're not a dancer? No, bro. Uh, no, are you, are no. you at home in your body, Elliot? I'm not. My body sucks, Luke. My body sucks. Uh, I feel I, I. it's the foremost, you know, like I'm doing so much. I'm trying to keep my body together. And every day it's sort of like I feel myself being a little bit older and just not, you know, the, the, the decline of my physical fitness has been a real, real bummer in my life, Luke. Are you being a good friend to yourself, Elliot? 
trying to be, bro, but... Um, so what does that mean? How are you a good friend to yourself? Um, how am I a good friend to myself? I'm a good friend to myself because I... I listen to what I feel I need and I allow myself what I feel I need. And I don't sort of torment myself for needing what I need. So you sound like if, a serial killer. <laughs> really? You give yourself uh, what you need. You don't torment yourself. You just, if you need it, you need it. No, no. If I, if I need to sleep in, I sleep in. You know, if I if I need to eat a proper meal, it's expensive. I'll buy the ingredients, and you know, and I'll make a proper meal. I, I'm really, um, I I I don't I don't I don't starve myself, and I don't punish myself. But I'm trying to walk the line between asceticism and epicureanism. I'm trying to find the comfortable balance. The, the neutral. I'm, my goal is to be neutral and even and at peace. And um, so, we, you know, I, I try to find balance and keep balance. So I don't know if that makes any sense. Sure, sure. Uh, so did you see my uh, video yesterday morning, I think, checking out of the National Project? Uh, is that the one like at five thirty in the morning? Yes. Yes. I, I did, but I was so groggy. I didn't. I don't retain much. You were wearing uh, the sticks and yes. Oh, yes, leather. I went. I went all sticks and hammer. Yeah, uh, but I was sort of semi-conscious. I don't remember the content. So. Okay, so the content was that a lot of people don't care about the news, don't care what's happening in in the wider nation or the wider world, and the more happy you are, the more engaged you are with the outside world. And the more unhappy you are, the less likely you are to care about what happens in the outside world. And so I got a, got an email from, from an acquaintance and he says, you know, your stream here very close to home. I, I've been feeling like nobody at my community that we, we just joined. I'm paranoid that I'm being judged. I, I should go see a therapist about my anxiety and depression. Uh, but I need, people other than a therapist to connect with and from from your videos you sound like someone who understands how i feel more than most people uh when we spoke you said i sounded depressed nobody ever tells me that so straightforwardly but i am so yeah so it's just that 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 stream seems to really hit home with with some members of the audience uh is it still up online i'll go back and watch it again uh and i'll try i'll retain this time um um, hmm. because I, you know, you say when you're about your, your, your happiness is sort of dependent on the quality of your relationships with other people, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. Right. Yes. And my happiness in contrast is, uh, how I feel, um, within my own body and my own headspace. So I, I don't, I don't, relationships are far secondary to me. And I'm not saying that this is a good thing or a bad thing. I'm just telling it as I perceive it. And that is a contrast between uh, you and me. 
And um, I, I wonder if, okay, I see relationships, human relationships. I know this is going to sound cynical, but I, I see them as sort of a pastime. I don't see them as um, the essence of life. Yeah. I see them as sort of a, a peak experience, you know, a source of amusement and enjoyment. But they're at the end of the day, they're not really there. They're very ephemeral because I'm changing. The other people are changing and we're sort of, you know, we meet at a rest stop and we're all thrown together for, for a few moments or a few days or a few weeks, a few years. But then, you know, sort of time marches on and then we're sort of, we go our separate ways, you know, and uh, maybe, you know, and this is very well could be, you know, uh, a pathology on my part, but I, I, uh, it's very hard for me to invest in things that I know are very temporary. Does that make sense? Yeah. Uh. And I, I, I'm not saying this is the correct way to live. I'm just saying these, this is how I see the world, right? And um, uh, other people, most people don't see the world the same way. And I'm fully cognizant of that. Uh, but then they're, they're sort of, um, I don't know, they seem to be blindsided by life and people die and people move away. And, um, well, they form attachments and then therefore they feel lost. You're a rock, you're an island, and a rock never cries and an island feels no pain. <laughs> exactly, Luke. And I don't like this. I don't like the fact that this is how we see the world, but this is in fact how I do see the world. Um, and, and part two, part two is it's people that can be alone are the only people that can be of service to other people in their times of need. You know what I mean? Like uh, there's a certain independence and and, uh, objectivity that comes from the ability to be alone. And you've built walls, a fortress deep and mighty that none may penetrate. You have no need of friendship because friendship causes pain. It's laughter and it's loving I disdain. What is that? Is that a song or is that the Bible? Simon and Garfunkel. Don't talk of love. <laughs> I've heard the word before. I won't disturb the slumber of feelings that have died. If I never loved, yeah. I never would have cried. <sighs> yes. Yeah, maybe I should go back. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good Hiding point. in my but... room, safe within my womb. I touch no one and no one touches me. Yeah. Well, you know, tonight I was going to go down to the beach. This is Friday night, and there's usually a big gathering at the beach, the swimming and so forth. And I just wasn't into it. I didn't feel like it today. So I just stayed home. Now, partially because I'm feeling a little bit off physically. But um, it's it would just be another sort of chaotic group setting where there's just lots of conversations that I don't really want to be in that happen. And I sort of I evaluated my expectations and i said well i just don't need that tonight so i'm just going to stay home and listen to luke 
<laughs> Excellent. You're being a good friend to yourself. That's what I'm hearing. Yeah, but it's sort of sad in a way. Like, uh, it's sort of like this. Uh, You're in a uh, prison of your own, of your own ingrained habits well, that have become it, so perpetual you don't see them. Yes, it's like, well, no, it's me with internet culture. Like, I get to choose whatever experience I want at every given moment, right? And I can't endure anything that's not feeding me the steady diet of dopamine that I'm accustomed to. And if going out to this in-person IRL gathering creates moments of, of non-dopamine, I don't need that in my life, right? There's this just this... this escalation of expectations that that just being a passive internet consumer has created in me yeah sometimes i don't want to listen to a, a live 12-step meeting because there are unexpected interruptions or people disappoint me so if i just go to the tried and tested recorded talks then, then <laughs> i know i'm not going to get you know something that i don't want right you want the distilled essence right. you want none of the None of the messy, like, froth and tangled ends that goes on with real people in real lives, you know. Their their stories are just boring. They've all been said before, you know. (laughs) Like, who needs to listen to that crap when you can get, like, really, like, well-processed prose that's been thoroughly edited? It's like, why make a salad when you can keep processed food around the house that may be years old, but it still works? (laughs) Why go shopping when you can have Amazon bring right. it to your door, you know? I went for a walk the other day, and I saw all these people that I knew, and they were all, like, gathered together and laughing and have a great time. And yeah. I just couldn't go over there. I just kind of kept my head down and, and, and walked off. I just I surprised myself. I just wasn't ready to engage. Yeah, that's me. That's me. That's me, like, more often than I'm of uh willing to admit like uh so what are you doing for passover (laughs) you know what i'm doing tomorrow i'm doing my taxes luke (laughs) i'm gonna do it tomorrow got the whole day blocked off and i'm not gonna allow myself out of the house until i've done my taxes bernard is in new york city bro yeah, should I just hop a flight and go in and hang? Go get some pizza, some falafel. We talk should, about the Luke Ford show. We, we should all gather. We should all like you know, rent a mountain cabin. Yeah. Alone, hopefully, on different peaks. <laughs> <laughs> Have uh, a convention. Huh? Do you think you'd enjoy hanging out with uh, people like Laponius and half Galician and... Uh... I, I don't know. I mean, it's 50-50. I mean, it's very likely that we could listen to each other. Like, literally, viscerally hate one another. You yes. Know? <laughs> like, why risk it, Luke? <laughs> <laughs> we got to get things going, you know? <laughs> no, there's something to that because there are a lot of people who I've had good relations with, but then I got a little closer to them and things yeah. just blew up. So, yeah. you know, at a nice remove, you know, everything yeah. was great. And then I got too close and things blew up. We, we want the filtered, distilled essence of people. Right. At, 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 arm... at arm's length. At <laughs> length. Yeah. That's just like. Is that what the, up in your grill. 
<laughs> exactly. You know, uh, yeah, I know. So this is, yeah, I, I think about that often. Like, uh, who knows? They could get in a fist fight for all we know, you know? Uh, uh, Bernard and, and Laponius. And, right, right. Like, that would be interesting content. <laughs> Uh, anyway, bro, that's all I got. That's all I got. Okay, blessings. blessings. All right, bless. Uh, later. Bye. Cheers. Okay, so I'm reading this, uh, rereading this terrific book, The Extended Mind. And so, so much only happens when we're face to face with people. Like what we're doing now is great and has its place, but it, it's really eye contact that opens the gate between the, the brains and the hearts and the minds of, of two individuals, and then information flows. So, the easiest way. To get new information, to learn new things, to broaden your your worldview, is to have contact, close contact, human to human eye contact with with someone else, right? You know, the the eyes are like a gate, and and you don't get the same same degree of intimacy when you're not looking in someone else's eyes, right? We we want we want social exchanges in which what we're saying are directly responsive to what the other person has said, and then. When this contingent communication is absent, we, we don't learn nearly as well. So we learn best from other live human beings, right? And we learn best from teaching other people. So IQs are 2.3 points higher for firstborn children. And uh, researchers think that uh, the firstborn child's higher IQ stems from family life. Older siblings engage in teaching younger ones. So engaging students in tutoring, teaching other people, doing a YouTube show where you try to teach things, uh, that helps you to learn. Even if you just like speak to a camera and, and try to teach something that you've been reading, right? So when I do this show, there's a tremendous physiological arousal. It, it can be absolutely exhausting, but it's very rarely makes me sleep. Right, I'm I'm fully alert and alive and pulsating, and uh, it's it's incredibly challenging. But you you are then pushed to learn things that that you wouldn't learn otherwise if you weren't going to be all exposed on on a show. So, explaining something on camera, even if no one's watching, that really helps you perform, improve your performance, improve what you're learning, and it generates a, a persuasive feeling of social presence, the, the idea that someone is watching and listening. So explaining yourself while you're being recorded, it measurably increases your physiological arousal. You have more memory, you have more attention, more alertness. The extended mind. We, we do much of our best thinking socially at times. Other times we do our best thinking sitting down. Other times we will do our best thinking going for a walk. Going for a walk alone, being with others, being alone behind four walls, right? There's a time and a place for all of that. Speaking of our greatest thinking, here's more from Millennial Woes. And by a video by Davis Arini, when he made the point that upper-class couples can do things that would destroy a working-class family. And, and I don't really... Well, Adam Smith made that point in The Wealth of Nations, that all sorts of vices that the middle class and upper classes can engage in would, would be fatal for the lower classes. Because the lower classes, generally speaking, aren't as disciplined, aren't as intelligent, and don't have as many resources and uh, family and friends and community and schools to fall back on for help. You know exactly why that is. 
but it makes sense to me. Just intuitively, it makes sense that a wealthy family are not going to have the same pressures. So when I collapsed into chronic fatigue syndrome, I had my family that I collapsed onto and I had friends who were also there for me. And then my family sent me to doctors and I was able to reach out and place a lot of singles ads and met a lot of women. And uh, one girlfriend uh, led me to a doctor who changed my life for, for the good in 1993, putting me on the medication Nardil. On them. They're not going to have the same sense of precariousness as a working class family or indeed a middle class family. So they can withstand more. But I mean, obviously, that, that's a very, there, there are, there's a huge gray area here because it, it's not that simple. Uh, because in other ways, a working class family will be more robust. But I think that, well, the point that Irina was making was, so upper class people can do things like have a drug habit, and yet it doesn't destroy them. Now, as I say these words, obviously, we will all know or, or know of a wealthy person who got destroyed by drugs. Yeah. Right. Jack Nicholson seems to be a bloke who can engage in drugs and all sorts of vices, and it hasn't apparently destroyed him. May have done tremendous damage to other people around him. It, it happens. Um, but at the same time, there does seem to be a correlation between wealthy people having a drug habit and yet they have a career and, it, and it just, this drug habit is just something they do on the side and it doesn't matter, they've got it under control. Whereas stereotypically speaking, a working class person is far more likely to, if they get into drugs, it might well dominate their life. It might well fuck them up. Um, now, I don't have anything particularly invested in this being true. Right? Might, some people might think that I, I, I'm a snob and I enjoy this idea that uh, superiority and inferiority Okay, here's Wozy on cultural change. And that was actually another thing that I wanted to bring up. It occurred to me that, you know, we, we, we say that, and I see, I have said, that there has been cultural stagnation, cultural freeze since the year 2000. But that's actually not true. It's true in the way that we mean it, which is that aesthetics, music, film, TV, art, literature, all of these things have stagnated. But it's not true in the broader sense. Now, and we need to be specific here, because it's in the broader sense, culture has actually transformed since the year 2000. And that's that's exactly what we're all despairing about. And I'm not saying that we all love the year 2000. We think it was just fucking great. You know, obviously, obviously, we know better than that. But clearly, there is constant decline. And um, we can remember a better time. Even though it wasn't perfect, it was better. And it was. I mean, it just was. Uh, it, I mean, there are Zoomers. It was better in some ways and worse in other ways. Come on, Wozy, give me something, man. So, to get back to the multi-moral society, I think I've... I've yeah, I think that uh, a sane society would not just not have equality, it would explicitly reject the concept of equality. For reasons that are just so obvious, I know that they're obvious to you and me, but to a great percentage of the public, it's, it's not obvious. that I think a great percentage of the public would be horrified to hear me. There is an equality that inherently goes with nationalism, right? If you're a strong nationalist, then there is a sense of equality with fellow members of your nation. Saying that a sane society would reject equality. I think it's become you know, like a religious thing for people, it's just the, the, an axiomatic truth that the races are equal, cultures are equal, that it's all so fucking exciting and interesting. There could be ways that we're equal. We can, we can believe that we're equal in the eyes of God. We can uh, believe that we're equally members of our group. We can believe that we equally have, have a mission, but certainly we don't have equal skills. Even though no one is actually interested in other cultures, 
Um, but just all the, the just there's incredible realms of possibility of these cross pollination of different ideas. But no one is actually interested in other ideas. It's, it's nonsense. What they actually mean is that. Okay, I'm not getting anything. I was told to check out this latest Wozy production, and there's just nothing in there. Making false allegations against men. So quickly, just classic. Instantly blame the victim. Now here on the Goblinson Channel, we love our we love our women. God is a female. We are paid up, ardent feminists who pray at the shrine of Anita Sarkeesian and Zoe Quinn. And classic victim blaming occurs. We're not even rounding out the first minute, but he's instantly going to go straight in with the kill. Own up to zero of his faults. He's just admitted that. I'm not going to own up to any of my faults. I'm even. I'm just going to claim their fabrications and lies. And instead, he's going to dismantle this woman, right? And this woman's claims, but not in any detail, because if you are actually privy to the woman's claims, it's indefensible. It's indefensible. Deliberately entrapping men and of being obsessed with men as sex predators. Yeah, I've got to admit that I've grown from the Me Too movement. You know, I, I realize just some of my aggressive approach of women was incredibly off-putting. And one specific area where I think I've grown that uh, when you ask someone uh, that you're in an intimate relationship with to do something, or even someone you're not in an intimate relationship with, the, the default that we have is often to say yes. And so by putting women in an awkward situation and, and manipulating them into having sex, yeah, they, they bear some responsibility if they consent, if they put themselves in that situation, but you also bear substantial responsibility. Like if you introduce drugs to someone or you introduce, say, unwanted sex to someone, if you prod or push or manipulate, you bear some substantial moral responsibility. I didn't I didn't really think about I didn't I didn't take cognizance of how when you're asking and manipulating and pushing someone to do something and then they, they give in, that's not that's not 100% consent. Maybe 100% legal consent is not 100% moral consent. And so when we ask something of someone, when we manipulate someone, we have to take responsibility for that. And if it's something that's against their self-interest, then that's on us. Like we've, we've harmed people. And generally speaking, uh, women are not benefited from an injection of your cock unless you marry them. I think, generally speaking, women tend to regret all sex that doesn't lead to marriage and protection and security. ...who prey on young women. She has framed at least four other men before me that I know about. Okay, quickly, quickly, Millennial Woes, what are they... And why is it you attract psychopaths? That, that's the other thing. I, I know my show attracts a lot of broken people because they, they resonate with, with my brokenness. So if, if I'm attracting, if I were attracting psychopaths, then what is it? People with antisocial disorder, that's the, that's the new terminology. What is it about me that, that would bring those people into my life? I, I'm not aware that I do, but there seems to be a lack of introspection on the part of all those who complain about all the psychopaths in their life and how they're being victimized. Now, wh what is it about you that attracts the antisocial? Their names. What are these four other men's names? Please. Okay. What's going on with uh, 
anymore. Based mental health and therapy, which is all great, and I'm fully for destigmatizing mental health issues, and I'm absolutely all for people getting access to the right help. However, what Katie Morton says in her mission statement versus how she presents herself on social media are quite different, in my opinion. Let's start by talking about the Shane Dawson documentary that kind of made her famous, The Mind of Jake Paul. Now, this series saw Shane Dawson bring Katie on as an undercover therapist to secretly psychoanalyze Jake Paul, which is a morally... Yeah, I don't really enjoy when people use psychology as a weapon. I notice many women in particular doing this, uh, particularly when you get into a fight with them and they say, oh, you're a narcissist or you're antisocial or whatever it is. I notice this in a lot of arguments and discussions that, that people use psychology as a weapon. And I'm, I'm not a fan of that. And I'm sure I've done it. And so I'm not a fan of things that I've said and done both on this show and outside of this show. Questionable starting point, to say the least. So she's, she's signing up here in this Jake Paul documentary to, to use psychology as a weapon. For a licensed therapist, the things that she was saying about antisocial personality disorder were quite harmful, in my opinion. For someone who markets herself as a destigmatizer of mental health, she sure added to the stigma surrounding antisocial personality disorder. Others, um, so using anything they can to get their needs met. People aren't people, they're just tools to be used in their life for their game, whatever it is. Well, but they don't have emotions, so like they wouldn't cry. They might if they thought it made them fit in or like get what they want because they're deceitful. I've met a lot of YouTubers. I've definitely met a few where I've got that gut feeling. Mm -hmm. um, that, ugh, we're talking about. Like that. Yeah. Mm, yeah. I'm feeling sick. <laughs> <laughs> it's um, really gross. And it's just creepy. That is terrifying. Yeah. That sense that, like, ugh, that feeling. Like, ugh. is that. Isn't that creepy? It's so yeah, creepy. Okay. It's like, we're going to take a shower after this. I mean, nearly every time that she describes it, she uses fear-mongering words and treats the disorder as if it's disgusting and something to be feared, which is the exact opposite of how a mental health professional should be talking about a mental health disorder. Especially when this whole documentary was trying to diagnose someone with something without their knowledge or consent and creating fear about something that's already incredibly misunderstood. And then to broadcast that to millions of people, it's just very harmful. And Katie was marketed as a voice of reason on this documentary and a professional in her field. So then to say all of this about a widely misunderstood disorder is going to make people believe her. Not once did she mention that the disorder was treatable or that people could get help for it. She just massively added to the stigma of this disorder for the millions of impressionable people who know nothing about it watching. Of course, Katie wasn't responsible for all of that. Shane Dawson is guilty of perpetuating this as well. But in my opinion, the way that she dealt with this disorder was incredibly unprofessional and ultimately ultimately very harmful. Then there's the whole ethics of going in as an undercover therapist in the first place, to try and evaluate someone with the expectation that they have an undiagnosed mental health disorder without their consent for a documentary is something that never sat right with me. Dr. Todd Grande made a great video unpacking the ethics of this from his perspective that I will link fully in the description, and he talks about the code of ethics that therapists are supposed to follow and the ways in which this documentary potentially violated them. He's also done a video about all of the things that Katie got wrong about 
antisocial personality disorder, which I'd also recommend. And let's not forget the time that she called Shane Dawson an empath. What am I? <laughs> because, like, I feel like I attract sociopaths. Potentially. And I'm not so soft. Yeah, like, I'm not calling out people. I'm not saying there's certain YouTubers who I've, like, done videos with or any of that. I just mean in my real life, like... Yeah. I feel like... But I also feel like I, like, get them and I want to help them and all of that. Because you're empathic. Why is Stevie Wonder always smiling? Because he doesn't know he's a n- Whoa. It's a vow. I've heard that before. Yeah. What is like, that? It's essentially, like, with feel for other people. That was kind of racist, wasn't it? I didn't mean it to be. Oops. Like... Socio- that's the opposite. An antisocial personality disorder or a sociopath would be your antithesis, like the complete opposite. So every time you think, oh, but like, that must really suck for them, they would have none of that. But this isn't the only way in which Katie has been seemingly going against her mission statement of destigmatizing mental health and helping her followers. This next issue with Katie Morton surrounds her promotion of the app BetterHelp. Now, BetterHelp became infamous a few years ago when influencers were being called out for promoting it. The app promoted itself as an online counselling platform where people could contact licensed therapists and mental health experts who were available to help people over the app via text, phone call or video chat. However, people started to notice that the app's terms of service told a slightly different story than that of the marketing campaign that YouTubers were promoting. They found that though they promoted licensed therapists using their platforms, their terms stated that we do not control the quality of the counsellor services and we do not determine whether any counsellor is qualified to provide any specific service as well as whether a YouTubers who have promoted this website. It's been all over Reddit. My own subreddit, I always see these ads. Try online therapy. Try online therapy and you too can grow a magnificent beard just like this guy. Well, what is BetterHelp? Well, it's been marketed as cheap, affordable, and private online therapy with a professional. That's right. Hooray, professional. I discussed BetterHelp in a previous video where I first heard about it and I was cautious about calling it a scam because I've seen not just YouTubers, but actual therapists shilling this service. Totally really believe it. You're a sociopath. By the way, this video is sponsored by Online Therapy. <laughs> so what's wrong with BetterHelp then? You can have online therapy without leaving your house. Okay, so one of the online uh, gurus that I've particularly enjoyed uh, over the past uh, few weeks is TechLead. Do you guys uh, follow, follow TechLead? So he just uh, removed a bunch of videos that, that I wanted to play. But uh, here he is saying child support. Oh my god. I lost my child support case. This is going to destroy me. I have to pay like $5,000 per month in child support uh, for the next 15 years or something like that. So my retirement is out of the window now. You know, I was going to retire last week actually, but it seems like I'm back onto YouTube now churning out these videos. And I wanted to explain for you the child support situation for you. I recently lost my case because you too may find yourself having to pay child support someday, whether intentionally or even unintentionally, as what happens to many sports superstars. And I'll explain for you the calculations here. But before I begin, I want to clarify for you what happened about three years ago. My Japanese wife just one day took our son, three years old at the time, and abducted him, taking him off to Japan. And 
About a year ago, I lost contact with them and she has been blocking access ever since. So recently she came after me hiring an American lawyer and went after me for child support and she's still out there in Japan. Now this is not a video meant to trash her or anything like that. You know, like I'm just here to try to educate you that value is what I'm trying to provide for you. So this really isn't a personal video and you know, some people by the way are going to say I'm a deadbeat dad. I want to clarify that, you know, my son was the most important thing to me in my life. He was the one thing I could not lose. The most important element in my life that left me very much traumatized and many fathers who end up losing their children do end up unliving, so to speak. And so really the fact that I'm even here alive and somewhat productive is a feat in and of itself that requires tremendous emotional willpower. A lot of people say that I refer to my son in the third person as the child rather than my child. And the reason for that is because it just makes it too personal and emotional for me sometimes to talk about this matter. So he's got a, a lot of uh, honest, compelling content that uh, I think just sets him apart from, from most everyone else. But he seems to have also been going into a tailspin. And his life seems to have been falling, falling apart. And uh, there was a good essay back in September 25, 2020. YouTube channel Tech Lead hit rock bottom in a video uploaded in early June entitled Living with My Parents in My Man Cave as a Millionaire. So Tech Lead is Patrick Shu, and he greets the camera with a cup filled to the brim with beer. And as always, he informs his audience that he's an ex-Google, ex-Facebook with a net worth north of uh, seven, seven figures. And he's here to whip us into shape to show us how to live a life as enviable as his. Today, that means giving us a tour MTV crib style of his spare bedroom in his mom's household that he's currently shacked up in due to an intensifying storm of personal calamity. So he, he got arrested. He went to jail. And he, he tells us how much money he's saving by living with his parents. Says, I don't have to cook. I don't have to clean. So moving home with his parents is is alpha. That's what he says. How can you beat this lifestyle? It's just too alpha for you. So the austerity is intentional, he says, so he can maintain razor focus when he's gaming. So it used to be that Tech Lead had a normal YouTube channel and he just presented himself as an ordinary successful tech guy. And he played the game and won and now he's here to help you get on his level. And he'd recommend books to read and recommend what to do that it all started to deteriorate in the summer of 2019 it's kind of a convoluted tale but uh, his wife left him took his kid went back to japan and uh he appeared utterly swaggerless for the first time as he wrenches through the saga his apartment is empty he's trying to pick up the pieces and his relationship with his wife deteriorated because she did not appreciate the financial privilege of being with an ex-Google, ex-Facebook millionaire, he claims. So he never seems to take much responsibility. Either he chose a, a psycho to, to marry or a normal woman wanted absolutely nothing to do with him and left the country to get away with from him. So either way, there's, there's a lot of personal responsibility to take and never really does it. So... He gets millions of views for these these videos. Why my wife left me. I, I went to jail. Managing and protecting money in a relationship. The tyranny of alimony. 
and uh, finding a way to generate child support money by complaining about child support. So he has fully monetized midlife crisis. So his, here's some of the sample titles on his channel. How to make hard choices as a millionaire. What I wish I knew about side hustles as a millionaire. The millionaire mindset. Five millionaire habits that will change your life as a millionaire. Why I'm a millionaire as a millionaire. Why I have no friends as a millionaire. How I became confident as a millionaire. Wow, why I have no friends as a millionaire. That uh, sounds like something that uh, Elliot Black could get behind. So let's see what he has to say. Many, if any friends at all. And, you know, if I were to be honest about this, I would say that it's really because it may be that I'm just too successful. You know, like I could be too good because the fact is it is lonely at the top. So how can I explain this? Well, it's kind of like in the old days with the Kings, you know. Yes, I recognize that he's trolling a great deal, but there's also some 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 truth, I, I assume, to the, the, the downward spin that his life has taken over the past three years. Kings, they had a lot of servants around them. Like even when you're trolling, you're revealing things about yourself, right? Every word we use reveals us. The type of trolls we do reveals who we are. But they didn't have so many friends. And, you know, who knows? Maybe there's some nobility in me. I could have some royal blood, right? You don't know that. And if that were true, that may explain why I'm stronger, faster, smarter, better than other people. And where was I? Oh, yeah, why I don't have friends. So I wanted to get into this mindset about success and what makes me so different from other people and what makes it difficult for me to get along with people. Pop quiz, what's better than friends? Better for it because the thing is successful people will own their projects end to end and they'll over prepare for everything and take care of every single possible contingency. So I find a lot of people are out there whining, complaining, making excuses, trying to make themselves look better because maybe because they haven't achieved enough in their own life and they feel this lack of confidence. So they want to overcompensate for that, make themselves appear better due to these insecurities. But I find this focus on the problem does not help at all. And I would prefer if people just focus on the solution, which makes it pretty difficult. And okay, here's another Welcome uh, back to YouTube video that, you that I enjoy, uh, Joshua I've been Luke. procrastinating making this video, but I feel like I owe it to you guys, seeing as I wouldn't have anything I have in my life without you guys or the channel or the support that you guys give me. In short, the TLDR of this video is I feel like I've, I've let you down. I've let you down. Um, let me kind of back up a little bit and give you a recap of, of where I'm coming from. If you've seen this channel over the past couple years, you would know that there was a year in my life where things just seemed like they couldn't get any worse. <laughs> There's a lot of real talk on this channel. So I like Joshua Fluke's channel. I like uh, Tech Lead's channel. But uh, I, who would you say are the YouTubers who... Uh, who seem to be on a virtuous spiral rather than a downward spiral. Because even a lot of these YouTubers who I like, like Katie Morton, Joshua Fluke, Tech Lead, they seem to be going into downward spirals. Um, there was family issues. There was uh, relationship issues with girlfriends and friends and all sorts of things. And um, I tried to be strong and power through that. You're tired of it. I was tired of it. But behind the scenes, uh, in between videos in, in my life, um, I still process a lot of what goes on. And, and to be honest, it's, it's a little embarrassing. It chipped away at who I was. This channel, at least when I started it, it was supposed to be about helping people. That's what I wanted to do. And you can go look over the past couple years and you can kind of see how I've 
fallen away from interacting with the audience and you might have just assumed because it's uh, you have a bigger channel now and you can't possibly get to everyone and it's not feasible or anything like that but it, it wasn't like that it's just it has affected me and my personality to the point where meeting new people and doing things um, usually triggers a reaction of what do they want from me how are they trying to manipulate me and what is their real agenda that they're hiding behind. Just meeting ordinary people and it's just an instant reaction that happens and I have to walk myself through and be like, no, they deserve a chance and basically I started pushing people away. I kept everyone at an arm's length distance, even more. And it just... So, so who are the YouTubers who are flourishing? Because so many of them seem to be in a downward spiral and I think it comes down to the dangers of the e-personality. What I'm doing right now is very dangerous for my well-being. It's very dangerous for, for your well-being. That doesn't mean nobody should do it. But certain tendencies start pushing at you once you start doing what, what I'm doing right now. That, uh, that there can be a high from doing this. So it can become compulsive. It can become obsessive and, and compulsive. It's, it's a similar high to what you see in pathological gambling. And the way that we see ourselves and evaluate ourselves is changing as a result of our participation in the virtual world. And so because I get to control this space, all right, I can try to then extend that out into the world and control my interactions with others. And that's not going to work so well uh, because I've got 11 people watching me right now. All right. It, it would be easy to have an exaggerated sense of my own abilities to develop a superior attitude towards others, that the new moral code that I adopt online, I, I then would take into real life, which would lead to failure, right? Once you go online and you start uh, opining, whether it's just in text messages, whether it's on a Reddit forum, or whether you're making a YouTube show, there is a great tendency towards impulsive behavior. At the same time, a tendency to regress into childlike states and to share morbid things that you would not otherwise share with people when you're just face to face. So these traits combine into a whole new you. This is from this terrific 2011 book by the psychiatrist Elias Abujade. He's based in Silicon Valley, virtually you, the dangerous powers of the e-personality. So the internet is fundamentally changing us, how we think, how we speak, how we interact, how we read, right? And these online traits are unconsciously being imported into our offline life. So that's why I think so many YouTubers are in a downward spiral. Our idea of what a real life community should be is being reconfigured by our experiences of the online world. And our offline persona increasingly resembles that of our online avatar. This wasn't fair. It wasn't fair for HR Lady. It wasn't fair for her family. It wasn't fair for my friends. It's not fair for you guys. I just don't want to be the 50-year-old guy <laughs> ranting on the internet about what companies could do better. I want to actually help people. And I know that, you know, giving examples of this and that, you know, it helps people. But if you go look at my videos before, they were way more interactive. And I really enjoyed that because I enjoyed seeing people make progress and people make change. And I just... I benefited from, from his, his videos. I think he's got a lot of sound things to say about getting a job, keeping a job. Uh, navigating a new job. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of real talk there on Joshua's channel. So think about the people that you like in real life 
but their online persona or their email persona is really unpleasant, right? So people now have to face a challenge of trying to separate the flesh and blood real human being from you know, the, the beast blithely roaming through cyberspace, spreading confusion and pain where, wherever they go. So the result of all our online interactions is the unwitting creation of an e-identity, a virtual whole that is greater than its parts, and it's unfettered by the old rules of behaving and social exchange and etiquette and netiquette. So this new virtual persona is more aggressive, tends to be less restrained, tends to be darker and sexier, and it has advantages, right? Having an e-personality can liberate you, can help you to transcend debilitating shyness, to let go of stortifying inhibitions, to forge connections and friendships that would be impossible otherwise. So often your virtual you will complement the actual you and act as an extension of the real life you, and that's what I'm aiming for. I think that's a healthy use of the virtual you. But the online self is prone to being dangerous, to being irresponsible, to running roughshod over all sense of caution and self-control and other people's feelings and needs. Our online self can encourage us to pursue unrealistic and unhealthy goals, to make us feel smarter and more knowledgeable than we are, can encourage us to behave more selfishly and recklessly. So the internet, with its fantasy fulfillment and anonymity, makes it difficult to resist doing all sorts of things which are bad for us. So we can reinvent those portions of ourselves that we don't like, and we can engage in behaviors that our more responsible selves would uh, put a stop to in the harsh light of day. And, and the darkest of the dark is the catalyst of suicide. So I don't allow people in my life to talk about suicide. I get out of those conversations. I, I, I won't have them. I, I won't allow people engaging in, say, suicidal ideation in the chat or on the show. It automatically enforces policies, so you don't have... So this is Hello? a show about... Uh, Yikes. Are you hearing YouTube, that weird feedback? YouTube uh, Technology. Teal. Just tried to FaceTime me. Oh, there she did. Hi. Finally. Hello. I, uh, sorry Teal about that. I don't, I don't know what's going on. But how are you? Yeah, you I'm had it. frustrated today because today we're, we're going to be filming. Um, so I'll just go here. My hate groups are so incredibly active lately that I've been put in a position where um, our decision as a team to ignore it can't happen anymore. Okay. So I basically have to do a video today that's answering to a lot of their allegations because I'm losing some contracts based on. So I notice people love to talk about how, oh, I'm being forced by my haters to do things. Well, you're not really being forced. You don't actually have to respond. You don't have to respond in a vitriolic way. People love that out of, oh, I'm being forced to do X, Y, Z. I remember talking to my therapist about, about an acquaintance who was being obnoxious almost every time I saw him. And so I was telling my therapist, okay, I need to either confront him or I need to... Uh, just walk away or I need to, you know, do X, Y, Z. And my therapist said, why do you need to do anything? And in the end, I didn't do anything. And this acquaintance became a very valuable friend. What they're saying. Okay. What's going on there? I'm going into this in this video, but basically the situation has been created where because so many people find belonging in this group of mine that we've created called right. the Teal Tribe, 
when they have a falling out with me for any reason, it could be that I don't answer an email or something like that. They sort of look around for where to belong, and the only place... I suspect that they're falling out with uh, Teal Swan, generally speaking, for far more significant reasons than just not answering an email. ...to belong is with people who hate me, so right. this platform has grown to thousands of people. So they go crazy, but, I'm, but they're like active. I mean, active, active to the degree where they're like turning me into the no-fly list, calling the cops on me, doing protests, tanking... Okay, so that sort of behavior doesn't usually just come out of the blue and you did absolutely nothing, all right? We usually play a a role in how other people react to us, right? I mean, why is Ethan, Ralph, and uh, Baked Alaska, you know, why are they going through these travails? Because they, they've triggered a lot of people into retaliation against them. My Amazon rating is threatening my publishers that if they don't get rid of my books, they're going to boycott the company, like really serious shit. Like, for example, one of the monitors that my haters have given me is the suicide catalyst, as if I'm promoting suicide. So I'm going to basically answer to, to all of these things from my perspective. I th- well, you can make a really good case that this woman is promoting suicide. I thought I'd have to work my way up to asking about things like her critics and the suicide allegations. But it's not even two minutes in and we're already there. Where did the, the suicide catalyst come from? Actually, the suicide catalyst thing came from a, a girl who lived with me in the very beginning of my career. It was girl Cameron Clark, who turned into my first and principal hater. But during that same period of time, I had a client that I was seeing, a personal client, who had a psychiatrist. She was really, I mean, suicidally depressive. She was on medication. She was being seen, of course, like usual. Psychiatrists weren't doing anything. Mm. Nothing uh, was helping. And I was seeing her on over the period of a year with her husband. That was Leslie. And... No matter what I would say, she would never actually apply it. She would never do anything. And what I wasn't really understanding at that time is what she needed was 100% presence, which was not something I could actually give her, and it was not something even her husband could give her. At some point while working with Leslie, Teal went on a vacation. As Teal tells it, she went out to the desert to disconnect and watch the eclipse. But when she got back in cell range, she turned on her phone and was flooded with missed calls and texts. The first few from her and from the husband saying that she was in trouble, and the next one, him screaming his head off because she had committed suicide. So I noticed in... The 12-step world that a lot of people have this attitude that they need to get their sponsor's permission uh, to, to do things. You don't need to get sponsor's permission. So people often want to offload responsibility. You're in, say, debt is anonymous. Oh, I need to get my sponsor's permission before I make the following purchase. So so a lot of people who are adults you know, like to regress to, to a childlike state and, and to take on mentors or therapists or, or gurus and, and then turn over responsibility for their life to such people doesn't, doesn't tend to work out well. But that's also on the, on the guru and the therapist or, or the individual to, to put a stop to it. So any, any sponsee that I have who talks about, oh, I want to get your permission for XYZ, I just like, stop that right there. No, you never need to ask me for, for permission, right? you don't look to a sponsor for permission. Formed insider look at mental health topics. If you find this video to be interesting or helpful, please like it and right, subscribe to my Dr. channel. Dr. Todd Grant. Dawson's YouTube channel. This video is titled World of Jake Paul, Part 5, and it features Shane Dawson, Katie Morton, and He's Jake a Paul as well as some other people. The question is, was Katie Morton's undercover role in this video appropriate? So if you've seen my channel before, you know that my channel is science and logic-based. I'm not going to offer any commentary on someone's character, and I'm not going to make any determination of right or wrong in terms of ethics, laws, or standards, or anything like that. I don't know any of the people involved in this video, and really this is just a review of the evidence I have available 
and I'm going to offer my analysis concerns, and I hope a learning opportunity for those interested in clinical work and members of the public. So I find this guy pretty commonsensical. He's obviously not oozing charisma. He's just uh, common sense. So when I talk about evidence, what evidence am I talking about? But, but also coming from his, his education as a psychiatrist and a therapist. Well, this particular video I mentioned, of course, and the assumption that Katie Morton is a licensed marriage and family therapist in the state of California, and also some of this information, I believe, probably comes from some of the earlier videos in the same series. I did a video on part two a little while ago. Now, a licensed marriage and family therapist is similar to a number of the master's level mental health clinicians, like counselors, social workers, and other professions. I'm just going to refer to all these professions together as mental health clinicians, but know there are some distinctions between them. So I mentioned what we have in terms of evidence, but what don't we know? Well, potentially a lot. Events could have transpired, of course, that weren't featured in the video. There could be other conversations and agreements that I don't know about. So again, I'm just- Right, it's not exciting to give this kind of context, but it is responsible. Just going on the evidence I have and trying to offer an objective analysis. So just to give a little background in terms of this video I'm talking about, ostensibly Katie Morton was there with Shane Dawson to evaluate, but not diagnose, according to the disclaimer, an individual named Jake Paul. And this evaluation would take place through observation and asking questions and also feeding questions to Shane Dawson. The suspected condition that they were looking for or looking to evaluate was sociopathy. Now in prior videos, I talked about sociopathy, so I won't go over all that now, but we have this construct of psychopathy and sociopathy, and sociopathy really relates more to antisocial personality disorder, which is a mental disorder in the DSM. Now, in addition to all this, Katie Morton was undercover. She was pretending to be a producer in this video. And according to this video, Shane Dawson had a verbal agreement, it looks like it was a verbal agreement, that indicated that Jake Paul could be evaluated by a therapist with no limits. So I have a few concerns about this video. What was Katie Morton's role in this video? Was she a therapist, mental health clinician? Was she a consultant? Was she there as Shane Dawson's friend, just coming along to ask a few questions? The video would have us believe that she was there to assess mental disorder symptoms. Another concern, why did she need to be undercover? Was it to gain information that Jake Paul would not? So Katie Morton has gone into quite a spiral after all this. So things to, things to be learned, don't use psychology as a weapon. Uh, probably inappropriate for her to have gone in this direction. Let's see what's going on with Ethan Ralph and Baked Alaska. Um, the false flagging thing that I saw going around um, right. was pretty comical. And I know it was bullshit because it, it was coming from, you know, fan fiction types already. So <laughs> yeah. it's like, okay, I'm already throwing some big doubt on it. But, of course, you know, they took it and ran with it and was like, oh, Bake's trying to flag down CWC, which is pretty <laughs> funny, I have to say, because that guy is a rat. And I, and I actually, you know, tried to be cool yeah. with him and had him on the show and even, like, tried to smooth some things Oh, You know what I mean? Like, okay, can, yeah. you know, can this be? Can we bridge the gap here? Whatever the answer was, no, because he kept doing snake shit. Uh, but uh, yeah, I guess that uh, the, the narrative was that you somehow had something against him, or was like plotting well, against him. Yeah, like I mean, that, I'll talk about it. I mean, it's bullshit. Well, first of all, you know, CWC is literally go look at his Telegram. He's literally doxing everyone's DMs. So it's funny how they're like saying that I'm this report fag when I have not reported anyone. I didn't put out that message or anything one of my mods i have a big mod chat posted a message from another chat that said hey fuck these guys report kino casino and cwc whatever you know i don't fucking read every fucking message it wasn't me i didn't post it and i, I so what you see with a lot of youtube personalities is that we all naturally gravitate to where we can get the most attention to where we can be the most dominant and so people like me create a show and we can dominate our show Right, we can do what we're we're good at, and we can feel more powerful than say if we were just uh, participating in in real life. 
So the rush of power and the rush of fun online uh, typically sucks people away from real life activities, right? And we put less and less importance on real life, on family, on friends, in conflict at work, paying less attention to the boss when the boss reprimands us for tactless, tasteless emails. We're more distracted in the classroom because our online activities where we feel so powerful and we're having so much fun, they are occupying more and more of our attention span. Taking this from virtually you, the powers of the e-personality. I did remove that mod. I know he's a good guy, but I'm like, hey man, like I don't really want this shit in my chat. I'm not trying to report people. So that's it. That, that's all they have. And I removed the mod and then they want to say, oh my gosh, Baked is running a reporting rig. He's reporting all these right-wing streamers. Holy shit. And it's like, they all, they just made that they made that up out of their ass straight up like dude up. honestly I'm, I'm looking through his telegram now i didn't even see yeah uh, so the the online world right can produce depression and, and even psychotic states because the internet responds to our need for escapism by helping us to generate illusions right we can just get lost online and if we're not tracking our time then we can lose anchoring in real life, which is this era's very common version of the symptom of dissociation. Uh, similar with heavy video and internet game users too, they experience uh, tremendous dissociation. So we tend to have less inhibition online. We tend to act out more frequently and more intensely than we would in person. And the normal break system, which keeps our thoughts and behaviors in check, constantly malfunctions on the information superhighway. So that's the online disinhibition effect. We are less inhibited and it's the anonymity, it's the invisibility, it's the loss of boundaries between people, the lack of any real hierarchy in cyberspace. So we can separate our actions online from our in-person life and therefore we feel less vulnerable about self-disclosure and acting out. So anonymity makes it possible for us to convince ourselves that these online behaviors aren't really me. And that gives us carte blanche to engage in antisocial behavior with much more abandon. Now, in real life, people will avert their eyes and look away when discussing something that's personal or embarrassing. But online, we don't have that inhibition. So we also don't have that big uh, status differential. So it's the background of being disinhibited, dissociated, and we create tendencies towards grandiosity, feeling like the sky's the limit when it comes to what we can accomplish online. We tend to be narcissistic, increasingly self-absorbed. We tend to think of ourselves as the center of gravity of the World Wide Web. We tend to be darker because the internet nurtures our morbid side. We tend to regret, regress, become remarkably immature once we log on. And we tend to be impulsive and urge-driven when we get online. These are all the transformations and fractures that begin occurring in our identity when we sit down and uh, go online. Half of this he's, stuff is he's docs, he doxed a Paul Gosar intern. Look at that. One of Paul Gosar's intern, who, who's like a groiper, he doxed him, and he's putting out people's personal DMs and group chats that he did not like have permission to post so i'm just saying like it's kind of it's kind of like the pot calling the kettle black here he like i'm not you notice i'm not showing i'm not putting out private information about people and i even reached out to cwc by the way and i said hey man i know we don't see I okay i think that's gonna do it i've got uh passover beginning in about 90 minutes take care bye bye